All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City uh, on this, the first day of May 2018. And uh, that is not my dog that's barking in the background. <laughs> Actually, uh, no, I don't. I don't have a dog. Uh, we'll we'll have to figure out. I think that's my good friend Michael Oliver, who's uh, who's German Shepherd. Must have decided he wanted to join in the conversation today. But in any event, uh, let me just uh, remind you again. I am the author of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, it's a weekly newsletter with a monthly summary letter, and you can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, uh, or you can call our office here in New York City at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. Uh, also like to encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter. Uh, if you are a substantial investor, uh, Chen's letter is not inexpensive, but it is a one that uh, various professional and higher net worth Individuals have profited from, have done very, very well, as Chen himself does. He passes along his his ideas about how to invest, and he's done extremely well in the biotech sector. Today, for example, he put out comments on Sorrento Resources. That's one of his favorites. He also follows Novo Resources and a lot of gold stocks as well, gold and silver stocks. Uh, but he has had an excellent track record, a very unique and very talented, successful investor, Chen Lin. ChenPicks.com is where you should go to learn more about Chen's work. Thank you uh, to all of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice of America business channel. Um, also, invite you to send along your questions, comments, criticisms, and praises, uh, or whatever you have to say about this show, to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. And of course, we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Without them, I would not be speaking to you. RN Resources, Balmoral Resources, Bontero Resources, Dynacor Gold Mines, Genesis Metals Corp, Klondike Gold, New Range Gold Corp, Northern Empire, and Novo Resources. Those are the sponsors for today's show. And I would like to remind you that the sponsors are uh, on this show are by invitation. They are companies that I have recommended in my newsletter. And for, uh, I think, all of those that I just named are in my own personal portfolio. So it's not just a matter of companies having the money to become sponsors. It's a matter of uh, picking and choosing, to a certain extent, uh, the companies that I really like uh, and feel proud to have as sponsors. I've titled today's show, Why the Dollar's Days Are Numbered. Alistair McLeod, Dr. Quentin Henning, and Michael Oliver are return guests today, 
Alistair will update us on where uh, where we are in the business cycle right now. Actually, he calls it a credit cycle, distinguished from a business cycle. Uh, and I think uh, his views will largely confirm those of Michael's, uh, namely that we are in a bear market for for uh, financial assets, uh, and in a bull market for commodities and and precious metals. But for sure, Michael's very bullish on the soft commodities. Um, now, you know, gold though has not been doing all that well. In fact, it's sort of treading water. It's not going anywhere so far this year. Maybe even down slightly. Um, and so I came across a quote. This morning, actually it was yesterday, John LaForge of Wells Fargo uh, Investment Institute, he said, and I quote, gold and silver have been trapped in a bear market cycle since peaking in 2011 at $1,900, and they could stay there for another five years, end of quote. Well, I'm guessing this is a bit of wishful thinking on the part of Mr. LaForge. Uh, After all, uh, he is an employee of the Washington slash Wall Street counterfeiting enterprise that can simply create money out of thin air from which loans and other products are made that enable uh, the rich to continue getting richer as the middle class is hollowed out in America. Why in the world would uh, Mr. LaForge ever wish to see a bull market in gold when that would be a sign that the dollar, which is uh, his company create out of nothing, out of thin air, uh, is heading towards the dustbin of history, as all fiat currencies have in the past. So I would just like to remind all of my listeners that never that they should that we should never forget that gold has survived for thousands of years with its purchasing power intact. There's no other currency in the world that can claim that. So I will openly admit my bias, just as much as uh, Mr. LaForge. Uh, is biased. I want gold, on the other hand, to rise vis-a-vis the dollar because that would bring about justice and shed the light against the Washington and Wall Street thievery. In other words, I want to see a just and stable playing field, a a level playing field for for the participants, and and certainly that's the only way you can have a free market capitalistic system. and I'm quite sure uh, Dr. Quentin Henning, chairman of and president of Novo Resources, who will be with me after the first commercial break, also has a bias towards a higher gold price. But regardless of the price of gold, Dr. Henning has discovered a very unique gold deposit that is one of the most exciting new gold discoveries in many years. With its uniqueness, it brings about exploration challenges that he and his team are working hard to overcome. I'm really looking forward to what he has to say about the latest press release and uh, and their endeavors to overcome some of the challenges that are inherent uh, in this very unique gold discovery. But right now, I'm really happy to have Michael Oliver with me once again uh, to talk about gold and other markets of importance. Uh, before I say hello to Michael, I want to remind you his website is olivermsa.com, olivermsa.com. I urge you to go there, partake of his uh, wisdom. He uh, shares uh, just a tiny bit of that with us each week on this show, almost every week, whenever he's available. I'm very pleased to have him with with us once again. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Good to be back, and my dog Matilda says hello too. Oh, <laughs> I hello, What kind of dog is it, Michael? A corgi. Corgi. Oh, okay. Uh, there's uh, big dogs jammed into little bodies. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> right. wonderful dogs, uh, wonderful animals uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. 
and you have the room there down there in, in your home to let them run and roam and here in yeah, New York City. Yeah, and I took her to the office today, too. So anyway. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> they can be very therapeutic on bad days. I know that. Yeah. And, you know, and on good days, too. Well, anyway, uh, an anal- uh, you heard what I just read, the uh, quoted from this analyst at Wells Fargo, who thinks mm-hmm. we may be in, in for another five years of uh, gold bear markets. Now, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, you know, I, I have to stay with what I do, and uh, uh, I fundamentally like gold, but uh, I realized many years ago that it has major bear and major bull markets within the context of a broader uptrend, and I think we're in a bull market. Now, until and unless we see something that puts us in a go-to-neutral status, and frankly, I'm not, uh, if you reference annual momentum, very long-term momentum, it's in a positive trend, and it would take a heck of a break to change that trend. Mm-hmm. That normally isn't the way that momentum works. Normally, momentum breaks near highs and near lows, not well off of highs. Mm-hmm. So when I reference uh, a lesser long-term momentum study, quarterly momentum, using a three-quarter moving average as my metric to measure the price action, uh, I have reason to, uh, you know, on your show, I think I've said three times during the last two years, here's a point you don't want to see broken by gold right. because it puts us in a, in a go-to-neutral position. All three of those times, gold missed the number. It would not go through the number that we specified. Uh, and therefore, now, now we have a fourth uh, set of numbers. One is a monthly close below a certain level. One is a trade to a certain level. And those levels are below today's market by, you know, a percent or two. And mm-hmm. uh, frankly, I don't uh, think we're going to see them. The short-term action of the market uh, specifically the dollar's upside, the euro's downside, and gold's downside, are all what we call non-confirming, meaning while the price looks good on the surface, on a daily price chart, for example, mm-hmm. when you run short-term momentum studies of that daily action, you find that it's not confirming, and mm-hmm. also that it's overbought on the dollar, or mm-hmm. in the case of gold and the euro, that they're not confirming on the downside, even though price has taken out the lows since March by a, a few dollars. Mm-hmm. Momentum hasn't. Mm-hmm. So that's what's called a non-confirmation. And that's a hint. That's a tap on the shoulder that, hey, maybe this decline isn't what it looks like. It's another trap. And quite often markets will do that. They'll go down those, when they can't get out of the box, they go down and they break one end of the box on a price chart. And gold, as you, as you said early on, was uh, caught in a stagnation period here for the last four months, actually. Very narrow, like a 5% range. And in fact, the last three monthly closes were almost the same price each month. <laughs> so uh, if you can't get out of a box, a market will often tease the chart watchers and go pop through one end of the box and say, oh, there we go, breakout. But if momentum isn't agreeing with it, beware. And that's, that's what my caution is right now. This downside in gold and downside in the euro, I think, is merely corrective. It's not a, a new trend change. And we've offered some numbers below that would... would we would concede that one could go neutral at that point. I cannot go bearish on gold because the big stuff, the annual momentum, isn't anywhere close to breaking anything. So therefore, a lot of people have fanciful ideas, fundamental, and uh, you know they can talk about them all they want, but I have to live and die by the, uh, the metrics that we have. Okay. They, uh, they remain positive. Well, Michael, uh, one thing I noticed about today's trading, uh, we're seeing both the equity markets, well, maybe they're bouncing back now, but the equity mm-hmm. markets and the debt markets, the treasury markets, were getting hammered pretty hard earlier in the day. 
What are your thoughts about that? It's usually usually when money comes out of the equity market, they go into the bond, mm-hmm. the bond market gets stronger. What, what are your the, thoughts? I think the big trend on both is going to be hand-in-hand downside, meaning price of bonds go down, yield goes up, price of stocks go down. I think the long-term picture, meaning looking from now out the next two years at least, that's the direction. Uh, sometimes you'll get a short-term contrary move where you'll have a flight to safety in T-bonds, for example, when S&P gets hit too fast, you know, like mm-hmm. that February break, for example, where we dropped 250 points in about four market days. So right. the bonds rallied four points during that period of time. But in general, the bigger trends, uh, all of our measurements say, not they're in sync with each other. They're both going down. Uh, the S&P right now and the NASDAQ 100 are playing and I say playing because, I mean, they keep coming back to the same levels, just above a secondary level of long-term momentum breakage. They already broke the first one in February uh, and, and, and NASDAQ in, in March. And now they're playing with a, with a flat momentum floor that we've defined every week. And in fact, last week we defined the number, and they came within 21 hundredths of a point of hitting it <laughs> on the S&P, and then fired a, an 80-point rally off of that, or a 70-point rally off that. And then That's today funny. they got down back within about uh, almost 10 points of the, of the new adjusted number. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's, it's like they know something's down there and it's not some rounditis number it's not like 2600 S&P it's it's more specific than that interesting but, um, they they they're dancing on it but they can't seem to get off of it yeah which indicates to me that all the buying is futile it's it's the revving their engine but it ain't going anywhere <laughs> very interesting uh, that that's for sure so i mean the plate tectonics are definitely you're quite certain about the uh, the bear market in the financials and a bull market in the commodities, and you're uh, and I know that you're you're extremely bullish on the soft commodities on the food commodities this year, aren't you? And they're looking very yeah, strong today grains, too. Grains, uh, uh, cocoa has uh, exploded since we put out a buy signal on it. It's gone up about fifty percent. Coffee's close to an upside breakout. Uh, sugar, I think, is just depleting itself on the downside. I don't think it has much more to go, if any. It's just waiting to, for an upturn. But in the grains, uh, they're pressing at the highs of the last couple of years. Uh, wheat's particularly strong right now, and it had sort of been a laggard. But the grains are quite solid. We turned bullish in January and February, depending on the specific grain, uh, for annual momentum breakout reasons. And I think they could go up... Uh, above the point of breakout by as much as 40% in the first major surge. Now, you know, everybody says, well, it's got to, you've got to have weather to do that or something, but we don't, we don't factor that in. We just measure the, yeah. the momentum technicals and, and whatever the factors are in play, they let them be, and uh, we just measure them. And they've broken out as far as we're concerned, and, and they're the strongest commodities out there right now. Yeah, well, I really appreciate that, Michael. Also, it's the objective approach that you have. You can have your own ideas about where markets should go, where you you see certain events that take place. But boy, that can get you in a lot of trouble sometimes. No, there's I know so many fundamentals. Me. That's the reason. There's, you know, you think there's one or two, but there's probably a hundred no, in every it, given market. <laughs> exactly, and then and then try to. Uh, uh, to, to try to predict psychology of markets is still another thing. So, yeah. Michael, we're we're out of time. I thank you very much for thank your you, insights. Always so so much appreciated. And folks, it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com to learn more about Michael's work. Well, folks, don't go away. We are going to commercial break, but right after that, Dr. Quentin Henning, President and Chairman of Novo Resources, will be with us to talk about a very exciting project in northwestern Australia known as the Karatha Project. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Henning. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. New Range Gold Corps is a Canadian junior explorer focused on its recently acquired flagship Pamlico Gold Project. Located in Nevada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Known as one of Nevada's highest-grade gold districts, Pamlico was held by private interests for most of its history and remains largely unexplored. Drilling by New Range is already confirming the legendary grades of the district with intercepts up to 341 grams gold per ton. Well-financed with no debt, New Range is unlocking shareholder value at Pamlico and trades under TSX, symbol NRG. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon Territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Dr. Quentin Henning. is the chairman and president of Novo Resources. He's been a guest on this show a number of times and uh, has, uh, through some very interesting uh, market gyrations, for sure, we've seen um, what I think is one of the most exciting and unusual, certainly one of the most unusual, potentially one of the most exciting and profound new discoveries uh, in the uh, exp- in, uh, among gold exploration companies in quite a few years. Novo Resources trades uh, in Toronto and in the United States as well. Uh, there are 150, about a call it 158 million shares outstanding. I believe that's correct. Uh, $3.89 earlier today, I noticed in the U.S., giving it a market cap of around $614 million. Um, thanks for joining me again, Dr. Henning. Sure thing, Jay. Always a pleasure. Always great to talk to you, and it's nice to know you're on our continent now and uh, uh, taking a, a little bit of a breather. I know you work extremely hard, and uh, so I'm really glad that you could take a few minutes to talk to us today. The market has really treated Novo, I would say, very kindly. It, I mean, it has a $614 million market cap in U.S. dollars, uh, and yet, except for a relatively small resource at Beaton's Creek, which isn't uh, your primary focus now, it's giving you quite a, quite a market cap. What do you think, why do you think the market is, uh, is treating your shares so kindly, given, uh, given the lack of progress? So I, say, I don't say it's a lack of progress, but given where you're at in terms of establishing a viable commercial deposit. 
Sure thing, Jay. Look, uh, I think people who, who followed our story know we're after we're chasing uh, what you know would be considered the big price. So we're looking for an analog, uh, a sedimentary basin to the the sedimentary basin in South Africa, and we're we're exploring um, the Pilbara Craton, which is a similarly old piece of crust, similar geology, and it's it's that geology that's led us to the Pilbara to look for, for what could be potentially be a very, very large gold system. Um, look, uh, you know, why do people treat us nice? Well, I don't know. You know, I'd love to think it was my good looks or something, but I don't <laughs> think that's the case. Okay, so, so uh, you know, we'll scratch that one off the list. Um, I, think, I think people who have an investment in us realize that, um, you know, we are on to, to something seemingly quite large. You know, there's no doubt that when you when you see gold nuggets emerging from a conglomerate horizon or, or multiple conglomerate horizons over a strike length of around eight kilometers, and you know when you see that you, you got to step back and think you know this could be a very very large system. Uh, we're basically on the edge, as I've I've said in many news releases, we're on the edge of a very very large basin that was deposited way back in the Archean time, around 2.7 to 2.9 billion years ago. And that's that special time window when, when this type of gold deposit formed. Uh, our deposit is quite a bit different than the deposits in South Africa and the Witwatersrand. Uh, we have very coarse gold. Uh, I've, you know, we've talked about that extensively in news releases over the past few months. You know, and, and the conglomerates are a bit different. They're uh, coarse bouldery conglomerates rather than pebble conglomerates like you'd see in South Africa. Uh, but, you know, beyond that, if you look at the, the spectrum of gold deposits out there, these paleoplasser or, or, you know, paleoalluvial deposits can be quite large. Okay, so, so I think people appreciate that. And they see us as, uh, you know, a, a, a ticket, you know, basically to get exposure to that potentially very, very large uh, system. Uh, you know, I think the other thing, though, that we've done here at Novo, we try to be very clear with people about uh, the challenges that we faced, uh, the, you know, the uh, this actual progress that we've made, or, you know, and at times it seems like a lack of progress, but uh, that we try to be very forthright with people about where, where we stand and where things are headed. Uh, you know, so I think that gives people comfort that, um, you know, that we are uh, doing the best job we can with this very, very unusual uh, style of mineralization. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, there certainly is, there is some frustration on the part of people that want to see the answers right away. And this, of course, is inherent in our in our industry, in this industry as a whole. Yours is probably more difficult than, than most because of the unusual nature and the difficulty statistically of sampling the deposit uh, and so forth. One investor expressed disappointment. He wrote to me, he said, first it was mid-April to now it's late May, and where are Purdy's reward sample results? Are, are, there, are we still, are we waiting uh, for some, uh, some results, some assays from Purdy's reward yet? Uh, look, we do have some uh, Purdy's reward samples in the queue uh, along with our Comet Well samples. Um, getting the, the test plant up to speed has been a challenge. I, we thought it was easy based on what we were being told around the, you know, the prior use of the plant and so forth. But, uh, what we're finding is that the rock we have is quite a bit harder than was anticipated. That's caused some challenges in the crushing, uh, end of the, the circuit, which is on the front end. Uh, we've also had some experience, uh, screening the material, you know, putting it through the sieves and stuff. It's been quite slow. 
um, you know, just little bugaboos like this that we've had to work through. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to pretend that, you know, it's been, it, it's caused us a lot of angst or, or myself sure. know, watching our technical team uh, work with SGS. But, but I can tell you that uh, everybody is doing uh, as good a job as they can. And I think that, that they pulled it around and they're pulling it around. All right. So SGS, uh, you know, they've dedicated a large portion of their yard down in Perth, to treating our samples, and if anything, we're, we've kind of overwhelmed the poor guys at the lab there. We've sent in uh, somewhere around 20 bulk samples at this time, and you know they're they're literally stacked, uh, you know, stacked up in their yard. Uh, you know, but that said, the guys are doing a good job. I, I was down there a couple of weeks ago watching watching the, the new crushing process and so forth. And you know, we put out the news release last week to show people that indeed. Uh, the samples are generating considerable uh, gold nuggets as anticipated. Uh, so we're, we're quite hopeful that the first batch of, of assays we deliver uh, sometime in late May will we'll give mark, the market an assurance that uh, there's, you know, these things have considerable gold in them, but it'll all get, also give people an assurance that we can treat these as, as planned uh, in this test plan. You know, look, um, a lot of a lot of people, you know, they they express their frustrations, like the gentleman you just read uh, his comment. Um, believe me, in the inside of the company, we face the same frustrations. You know? <laughs> as soon as a problem happens, like oh my gosh, uh, you know. And but we are making our way through, and we've got very smart people working behind the scenes. You certainly have smart people, uh, which has been made possible by a large investment from. Kirkland Lake, uh, how are you stacked for money right now, and how far will it take you? Yeah, sure, Jay. You know, f- funny enough, I think the last time we talked, we were at about seventy million in the bank. We're still at about seventy million. What we're seeing is a, a fairly steady uh, stream of uh, warrant exercises. There's uh, about, I think, maybe seventeen or eighteen million dollars left in warrant monies that uh, are, say, well within the money, you know, up to a buck 25 or thereabouts. And as that money comes in, it replaces our treasury. So uh, we, we have plenty of money, uh, we, you know, which is good. Uh, I've said over and over how, how that placement from Kirkland last year really put us on the right track to tackle this project. If, if we had had to go out and, and done a conventional financing of some sort, I think uh, the story would be much different right now. No doubt about it, and it doesn't hurt at all that Kirkland uh, is one of the most outstanding, up-and-coming, uh, really successful. I saw some good news again today, the press release today or yesterday. I mean, it's just an outstanding company, and to have someone like that uh, putting a lot of money into your company certainly does lend credibility to your theories and, and what you've been able to accomplish so far. I, I would agree. You know, Look, I, I, uh, I will tell you that uh, Kirkland is, is they're, they're smart people. Uh, they have very good properties. Uh, the Fosterville property, I would say, first and foremost, is going to deliver. You know, I think uh, today, for example, they put out news around finding some more high grade uh, in a new shoot. Look, mm-hmm. they have good assets. They're smart people. They're aggressive. They know where to spend their money, and they put a bet on us, and uh, we, we've enjoyed working with them. So. All right, I have to ask you uh, to comment on your April 25th press release in which uh, you revealed that you found, I think, some a large number, maybe it was 80, if I've got that right, if memory serves me correctly, uh, nuggets that were found in the bulk samples that you have, uh, that you are now processing. 
Uh, what can you tell us that you've learned so far? Uh, and those were taken at um, at Comet Well, uh, which is uh, I, th- I think you have an eighty percent position in that in that project. Uh, what yes, have you learned sure. so far from that? And how, maybe you can comment on how it differs, if it does indeed differ with what you've learned at Purdy's Reward. Sure. I guess uh, as a follow-on to the, the gentleman's comment earlier, we have moved the Comet Well samples up in our priority. Uh, you know, given, given the lengthy time it's taken to get uh, samples going through this test plant, we've shifted the Comet Well uh, samples up to Cube. All right. So they're going through uh, as top priority. And yes, we've seen quite a bit of gold come out. So we're, we're quite pleased with that. We've tried to communicate that to the market. Um, look, in, in my view, the, the differences are these between Cometwell and Purdy's reward. At Cometwell, we see uh, a very thick section down at the base, maybe three or four meters thick, which uh, appears to have nuggets scattered through it. That's very encouraging. It's not all confined down to the base. Uh, we see you know, considerable gold uh, well above the base. You know, the sample, that sample that we talked about last week and showed the photos from that's actually well above the base of the, the conglomerate so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very very optimistic you know that's why we put comet well at a higher priority at this point yeah so the uh so the geometry or the uh, the payload if you will uh if it's if it's larger uh might bode well for the economics than if uh, you just had a very narrow vein or very narrow narrow uh Correct. section of yeah Mm-hmm. Correct. Now, we, we also see a second uh, gold-bearing unit uh, about you know, 12, 15 meters above that basal unit. Uh-huh. And once again, there's quite a few nuggets in it. So it, it's very encouraging. That, that horizon, the one that's up at the top, might actually be uh, the same horizon as the Purdy's reward section, which is very uh-huh. And that, that would indicate that we have two different uh, systems at play. You know, some people comment that this is a, you know, like a fluvial system. No, this... This is not. It's it. You know, definitely the gravels and whatnot were washed into this basin by a river system, but uh-huh. it's been reworked by the the ocean uh, at some point. You know, so this was a near shore environment, and we see the gold scattered. You know, more or less laterally. Uh, you know, so it's not just a, a channelized deposit from what we can see. Our core drilling is seeing the same units over and over again uh, as we drill. You know, hundreds and hundreds of meters away from the outcrops now. Yeah, well, that's really interesting, the, the, the notion that it's, uh, people think it's a fluvial event here. Uh, but in fact, uh, which leads me to a question, and we're just about out of time, but I'd like you to comment on it if you could, concerning, uh, you know, you mentioned the eight kilometers of strike length. Now, as I understand it, that would have been around the ancient shoreline. And you're really looking, I think, what excited you and what you saw that most of the people that were discovering nuggets never thought of in Australia was that you have... Uh, an ocean environment, a, a shallow sea environment in which down dip you're expecting, it's not just an, a narrow area along the, the ancient sea, uh, seabed, or the, the shoreline, but deeper into the sea. And that's something, when do you think you might start to explore and give us some, uh, some information with regard to down dip, or down dip by any sort of uh, distance? Yes, that's a very good question. Look, uh, getting the grade sorted out, these bulk samples, is our, our top priority. Okay, let me mm-hmm. let me kind of give you a 30,000-foot view here. What we're trying to do right now is get some grade data out of bulk samples uh-huh. and also do core drilling to, to tell us what the subsurface geology is doing. The reason we have to do this is to get uh, a mineralization report put together so that we can convert the exploration license to a mining license. Uh-huh. 
whether we can do a 43-101, we're not certain yet. Okay, the data will dictate whether we can do that. But what we are trying to do right now is get our exploration license converted to a mining license so that we can potentially go test mining and stuff like this. The stuff you're talking about, testing uh, for the gold way down into the basin, that's probably a, a long ways out. We can core drill and stuff, but we cannot get accurate uh, great data from that. Now, that said, Jay, this is very important. Uh, I think most people appreciate this. There are many companies that have talked about finding similar gold uh, elsewhere in the Pilbara region. Okay, DeGray, uh, Kairos, you know, yada, yada, yada. There's mm-hmm. a whole slew of them. And yes. they have found similar gold in the same conglomerate horizon uh, in distances hundreds of kilometers away in some case. You know, Marindi, for example, announced uh, finding gold down in the Bellary Dome uh, a few weeks ago. In a place that's 250 kilometers south of Comet Well. Now, think about wow. that a bit. It's in the same layer of rock, 250 kilometers south of us, and they found some interesting gold, okay? When people say this is a one-off or fluke, you know, no, I don't think so. This seems to be uh, a regional uh, gold system, and, and it seems to be poking its nose out in a, in a number of places. Okay. All right. With just a minute left, then, uh, what, what should people be watching? What are the drivers... How soon you're going to have in late May? You're expecting some assays, possibly, for, uh, probably, hopefully, uh, late May. That's from the bulk samples. Uh, what else? And can you? What should we be watching for through the summer and into the fall? Sure. Look, the the bulk samples first and foremost. That'll give us the first impression of, of how much gold we have in that lower comet well sequence. Very, very important. We'll get some more assays out. In a, a really a steady stream of assays, hopefully after this, every month or so, we'll be able to talk about more and more. Um, we're going to open up many more trenches. Uh, we're going to put together a three-dimensional model of the drilling that we're doing right now. And by the end of this summer, say, maybe early, third quarter, we'll call it, of this year, we should have a, a fairly good picture of what we have at Comet Well and in the subsurface, all right? And that's the data that we're going to use to then file our mineralization report to, to get that, uh, that mining, mining license. Mining license. All right, very good. Well, we'll have to leave it go with that. Quentin, thank you so much for being with us again. Always a pleasure keeping up with what you're doing there in this most unusual, most exciting project. Thank you very much, and uh, hope to talk to you again sometime soon. Okay, Jay, thank you. All right. Well, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Alistair McLeod is going to be with us. We're going to talk to him about uh, his recent paper that he wrote on inflation deflation and what does that mean for the markets what would it mean for the gold market for example we want to ask him don't go away we'll be right back with alistair mcleod become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Nobo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Nobo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Alistair McLeod with me once again. Alistair uh, has a background as a stockbroker, banker, and economist. Uh, he's a senior fellow at Gold Money Foundation and head of research there. Uh, his weekly articles uh, are written at goldmoney.com, and uh, I would urge you to go there. Uh, to read them because they are, uh, if you really care to scratch beneath the surface to understand why markets are doing what they're doing, Alistair is as good as anybody to go to to understand the workings of the markets. And he definitely is a free market, uh, a free market advocate, uh, a free market economist, uh, and they're all too rare these days. So that's why we're really glad to have him with us again. Thanks for joining me again, Alistair. That's my pleasure, Jay. Always good to talk to you, um, and I would like to sort of have you talk about your recent, I think it was mid, uh, mid-April, uh, discussion on deflation and inflation, the debate. It's, it always rages on, and, you know, there are people uh, that are just, you know, it's almost, almost, like, uh, almost like religion and politics among some, some people that are active market participants. They get, really get emotional about it sometimes. Uh, you know, I have... Um, a subscriber of mine and a cotton farmer in Texas who is adamantly uh, concerned and concerned, but believing that we're heading into another 2008-2009 deflationary uh, episode that's going to take prices of everything down, 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 down. Uh, and uh, all I can say is that it seems as though that isn't usually what happens. It may be for a short period of time, and then they start grind, you know, uh, pumping the money into the system again, and then we start having rising prices again. But First of all, before we get started, uh, various definitions of inflation, of course. The Austrians have one, which I think is probably the one that you're more in tune with, the Austrian economist, and uh, of course, then the the Keynesians have theirs. Uh, But talk to us about the definition. How do you define inflation? Well, inflation always was um, an increase in the quantity of money uh, in the economy. And, uh, you know, the the effect on prices, which uh, the Keynesians, uh, the neo-Keynesians today think is inflation, actually is just the consequence of monetary inflation. Um, So to call, um, you know, sort of rising prices inflation is is a complete misnomer. Unfortunately, the problem with economics is that the definitions have become so fluid, nobody actually really can pin down what is inflation, what is deflation, what do you mean when you're talking about deflation? Do you mean the same as I? what I mean when we talk about deflation? And what is stagflation? I don't know, what is stagflation? You know, you, you, there is so much confusion over this that yeah. um, I would really like to see someone standardise properly uh, what these definitions are but i don't think it'll ever happen because i mean all we end up with is an argument between people like me austrians Mm. classical economists if you like um saying it is absolutely simple inflation is an increase in the quantity of money in circulation whereas the keynesians would say no that's completely wrong inflation is something that we measure on the cpi you know so we're not going to agree (laughs) i don't think 
No, I don't think so. And of course, you know, those of us who have to be concerned about paying our rent, putting food on the table, uh, the, the necessities of life, as opposed to, you know, a lot of the, 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 the one percenters, the top one percent of our society that don't have to be concerned about those things. We are, we look at inflation, what really, what we care about inflation is price inflation. That is when food and energy and uh, transportation and medical costs, all those things are rising dramatically. To us, that is, that's inflation. But, you know, the, the point is that you can print money as we did, as the Fed did, as all the central banks did after 2000, 2008, 2009. And we haven't seen until just recently any kind of significant rise in the kind of things that us common folks care about, the price of food and energy and transportation and medical care and education, that sort of thing. So maybe it's hard for people to really agree or to really, you know, for them to care about the Austrian definition of inflation. After all, rising stock prices, aren't they wonderful? <laughs> Asset inflation, yes. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, we can blow the gap on, on, on the Keynesian concept. Um, and let us just describe it this way. If you increase the quantity of money in circulation, then as that increased quantity works its way into the economy, what happens is that the purchasing power of that money is going to tend to fall. So if we talk about monetary inflation, what we're really talking about is that your money in the bank, your deposits, they are buying less um, as a result of monetary debasement um, than they did before. And this is a completely different thing from calling inflation, price inflation, um, you know, the true inflation, because price inflation is something which doesn't seem to be attached to the debasement of money. It yeah. is uh, something, you know, and, and, the, and the Keynesians take it uh, one ridiculous stage further. They, they um, try and persuade you that inflation is good for you. It's not. Being robbed of your wealth is not good for you. It's actually as simple <laughs> as that. It might be good for them. <laughs> well, it's good for governments because where does yeah. the wealth go? It goes to yeah. the government. It also Absolutely. goes, as you know, as we know, um, if you you know if you if you read Cantillon, uh, yeah. you also know that uh, it's the first receivers of the money who benefit. So when banks create bank credit, um, uh, they give that to their preferred customers. And those preferred customers are the first to get the new money in, in circulation as they spend it, um, you know, let's say paying their suppliers, buying, uh, buying in services, paying transportation, whatever it is, uh, then uh, those second receivers get it. But meanwhile, uh, the market uh, isn't aware this new money is, is, is coming into circulation. The prices are just afterwards. And this is the fraud in the whole thing. And governments are meant to help the disadvantaged in society. But guess what? The disadvantaged in society are always the last people to receive this new money. By right. the time they get it, it has already driven up the prices because its purchasing power has fallen. And they're sitting there with their wages, which are fixed, what little savings they've got, which have gone down in terms of value, in terms of purchasing power. They really are the victims in this. So you're talking about the one percenters. The one percenters actually do very well out of it because they're the ones who understand it and they will go and borrow money at uh, less at an interest rate, which is less than the rate at which the money is being debased mm -hmm. and transfer the wealth in effect from the savers to themselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, 
they uh, they become even more rich. Absolutely wonderful. Um, whereas uh, you know the the wealth transfer is from the little people, from the people who are honest and pay their taxes, from the people who um, just don't understand how they're being robbed. Which explains why we have a hollowing out of the middle class, and uh, and the, the you know probably more so in America at least than any time since. Maybe, maybe exceeding the robber baron days of, uh, of the 1920s, I don't know. But uh, the credit cycle, you talk about the credit cycle. You've provided a great deal of insight in this show, and I know you do in your missives that you write for Gold Money all the time. Uh, you don't talk so much about the business cycle, but a credit cycle, and that credit cycle helps to explain when you can anticipate more price inflation and then when you can start to adjust your investments accordingly, right? Would you care to comment, where are we now, Alistair, uh, in this cycle, um, you, we start out, of course, like if you start the cycle at the bottom of t- after 2008, 2009, the, uh, the, the crisis, the credit crisis, uh, the financial crisis, and then you start printing money. That's, an, that's where I would start the cycle. And then you go on, and for a number of years, you can print pump all that money in the system, as we just said. The stock market goes up. The bond market uh, is in a bull market. And, and, and people's food prices haven't gone up much, and so people are relatively happy it seems although their living standards have been decreasing all that time but the, where are we now in this credit cycle and what is it meaning and and can you tie in what we're seeing in the markets now with where you think we are in the credit cycle uh, yes yes of course i can um firstly the first thing i would say is that uh, the business cycle rather like price inflation is the symptom of the credit cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, the real cycle is the credit cycle. It's not a business cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the production of extra money in the early stages of the credit cycle that uh, uh, you know sort of appears to stimulate business. But unfortunately, they have to continue to stimulate it because if you withdraw the stimulation, it is exposed for what it is, just purely hot air. So mm-hmm. consequently, one has to think in terms of the credit cycle to understand uh, the economic fallacies that unfortunately we're subjected to to today. Now, in terms of where we are in this, this um, uh, uh, particular stock market, um, uh, uh, bull market, which Mm -hmm. is, if you like, inflated by the credit cycle, has now been, it's it's pretty well a record for a long time. I don't know how long, but I think it's about 107 months or something. Mm -hmm. This is a very, very long time. Uh, And really what it means is that the expansion of credit has in effect gone into um, inflating asset prices um, more than it's inflated prices on Main Street. So Mm -hmm. that's the first thing to bear in mind. Now, in terms of uh, this very, very long stock market, um, bull market, uh, this is actually telling us quite clearly that we must be in the later stages of the expansionary phase of the credit cycle. Uh, And uh, the next stage will be uh, an uh, an increase in interest rates to try and control inflation, which suddenly begins to get out of control. This always happens. Um, I don't need to go into the mechanism for it. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the sequence of events, which is really the question that you want answered, Mm -hmm. the first thing you see towards the end of this expansionary phase is you see that bond prices top out. Why do they top out? They top out because the banks have previously invested in bonds. Um, They have um, uh, restricted their lending to Main Street, the businesses, the, the medium and small enterprises, if you like, that there are the engine 
of our economies. Uh, and uh, the result is they've expanded their balance sheet into buying U.S. treasuries and perhaps, um, you know, prime corporate debt. Uh, and uh, there comes a point where um, that buying ceases. Now, the moment that buying ceases, uh, prices start softening. So if you're a bank, you're beginning to see losses appear in your bond market, on your bond portfolio. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, you've got prices going down on where your balance sheet is exposed. And on the other hand, you're, uh, you know, you're now suddenly getting aware that the uh, underlying economy is beginning to respond um, apparently positively to um, all that earlier monetary inflation. So what do you do? You want to lend to businesses who seem to be on a sound footing now. All the ideas of, you know, the last crisis and all the rest of it, you realize that's history. So as a banker, you start moving your focus from bonds into uh, bank lending. So what happens is that you get bond prices falling. And at the same time, you begin to see, um, uh, you know, loans to business and particularly the medium and small size businesses, uh, those ones which are deemed to be perhaps the riskiest customers, as far as banks are concerned, they start being offered money by the banks. The banks start competing to lend. Now, there comes a point where uh, as bond prices start falling and yields are rising, that this begins to undermine the equity market. Now, I would say that we're pretty well at that point because you can see that the, um, the, the major equity indices are struggling to go any higher. Now, what then happens is that this whole thing gets a momentum because bond yields start rising even further as banks continue to ditch um, their, mm -hmm. their, their, their bond investments. And uh, you will find that, um, you know, the, the analysts are saying the earnings outlook for XYZ Inc., it looked fantastic. It's never been better. It's wonderful. And yeah. the prospects are good. Yet the prices keep on going down. The share prices keep on going down. Mm -hmm. This is what we're seeing at the moment. So we're at that point, which is um, the beginning of the bear market in equities. Now, the bear market in equities uh, uh, continues while the underlying economy continues to appear to improve. Mm -hmm. And uh, you will find, though, that the, you get to a point where uh, uh, bottlenecks in industry and supply chains start appearing. Mm -hmm. You will find there's a shortage of raw materials. You find that, um, uh, you know, prices on uh, um, uh, Main Street start rising and they can't even suppress them, if you like, with hedonics in the indices. So yeah. you, you get this sort of situation where suddenly you begin to think, oh, my goodness, they're going to have to really jack up interest rates to bring this inflation under control. When they do that, you then find that you get the credit crisis because as you raise those interest rates, you raise them to the point where instead of uh, uh, controlling um, and slowing down the rate of inflation, uh, which is what the central bank hopes, it actually just brings on a credit crisis. Those who have borrowed too much and have invested that money unwisely in their businesses um, find that their return calculations are no longer correct. Uh, th you know, those businesses start going bust. The banks then start reversing their bank lending and you then have a contraction in bank lending. That is going to happen. Now, coming back to this deflation-inflation debate, mm -hmm. a lot of the deflationists can see this and they think, well, I can see the point where bank lending is going to contract if we end up going into recession. That is deflationary, which basically means that you should um, hold dollar, you know, cash dollars. The dollar should go higher. Um, but 
The problem with that idea is that the one thing we can guarantee, almost as much as we can guarantee the sun is going to rise tomorrow, is that the central banks will chuck money at the problem. And that is what will kill the dollar. I think any, um, uh, if you like, move um, in towards a stronger dollar on a credit crisis is likely to be extremely short, a lot shorter than last time. Because mm -hmm. last time we just didn't, you know, we, we weren't sure that Bernanke was actually going to come up with the money to the extent that was required. As it right. was, I calculate he wrote an open check for around about $13 trillion in a $15 oh. trillion economy. Uh, this time, we've, we've, we've got a $20 trillion economy. I think we're looking at least $20 trillion of open check support, as it were, um, for the banks and the businesses that would otherwise go bust. Now, that... I think is going to undermine the purchasing power of the dollar to the point where not only do you find that the economy is crashing, but the purchasing power of the dollar goes with it. So the dollar is going to lose its purchasing power. Nothing new there. It's a matter of timing, really, I guess, isn't it? I mean, the dollar could get stronger. It could actually buy a bit more for a short period of time as it did in 2008, 2009. I think we saw some actual momentarily deflation prices fell a lot of prices fell but mm. then but then so how many more times how many more of these cycles can we go through though alistair because i was looking today a one percent rise with a two with a 22 trillion dollar debt level which is what the u.s will shortly have we're going to run a 1.3 trillion dollar deficit next year according to david stockman and the fed is preparing to take back according to david 600 billion out of the market uh, you know, rates are, are set to rise very dramatically, it seems, uh, but it's struggling with a 3% on the 10-year right now, the equity market is. What happens I, if we go to 4%? How much can it take? And then, uh, you, so your thought is that it won't, it won't last long. They can't go much further, and when it does, they won't have much time, probably, and they'll have to start pumping really quickly again. Uh, yes, I think that's that. That is basically right. Now, as to the timing of the credit crisis, I suspect it would be towards the end of this year. Now, the reason I say that is that I can see that Chinese demand for um, commodities, in particular, uh, is going to begin to drive up commodity prices. As well as that, uh, the effect of uh, Trump's um, stimulus uh, with the tax cuts and all the rest of it. Basically, what that does is it, it uh, increases the budget deficit. It mm -hmm. increases the amount of, um, uh, of debt issuance required to balance uh, uh, the books. And it also increases the trade deficit. So you can see that with the increased trade deficit, that's going to undermine the dollar. Uh, mm -hmm. With the increased uh, 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 rates of interest, that's going to undermine government finances. And I can see a real crisis developing there. And that oh. crisis reminds me so much of what happened in the UK in, in 1973-74. Um, it, it, it uh, uh, I mean, that's a wonderful model for what we see. Okay, we'll have to leave it go at that, Alistair. We're out of time. Always a pleasure having you. I guess, obviously, uh, it's goldmoney.com. Folks, go there to follow Alistair and all he does. Some good advice there. And, of course, he and I both believe that you should own gold. It should be at the core of your portfolio because gold retains its purchasing power forever 
fiat, con- fiat currencies always go to the dustbin of history. The question is, how soon do we go there? Uh, we're out of time this week. That's all the time we do have. Next week, David Stockman is scheduled to be my guest. Uh, he will no doubt expand on some of the things that Alistair just talked about. Uh, we'll also be talking to uh, one of my company sponsors. Uh, specifically, it's going to be Robert Carrington, I believe. Of uh, no, uh, Anyway, I, we have a sponsor next week. He'll be with us. Thank you very much, Alistair, for being with us. And uh, folks, until next week, uh, that is all we have time for. Goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Bonterra Resources, an advanced exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade Gladiator gold deposit in Quebec, Canada. Over the last 12 months, Bonterra has raised over $60 million and has attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based Vanek Gold Fund. Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource in the second half of 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000 meters of drilling, where the dimensions of the Gladiator deposit have been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under the symbol BONXF. Orin Resources is a technically driven, capital-efficient exploration company focused on delivering shareholder value through accretive project acquisition and discovery. The company's management team has a record of success in the discovery, advancement, and monetization of exploration assets. Orin's focus is on advancing its seven premier gold exploration projects located in Canada and Peru. Oren's shares trade on the TSX in Canada and the NYSE American in the U.S. under the stock symbol AUG. For more information, please visit orenresources.com.